Praise the Lord, Church of Omaha. Can we clap our hands to the Lord for just a moment in this place? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Welcome, everybody, to our midweek service. Before we begin tonight, I do have a very special announcement that I would like to make. If I could have Terry and Laurel James please make their way to the front at this time. And let's give them a round of applause as they make their way up here. They are our February 2022 Volunteers of the Month. Terry and Laurel both serve others in the classics ministry at the Church of Omaha and lead a team to clean the church once a month. They drive the van and transport people to church. They embody the core values of the Church of Omaha, connecting with God, growing in faith, serving others, and leading by example. Now, let's congratulate them right now and put our hands together for them. Come on, we can put an encore on that right now. We're going to get a, get a picture right here, so... All right, everybody, let's all stand together tonight and enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. If you've got a need tonight, I want you to lift your hand right now all over this place. And, all, and while you're at it, lift your other hand. Let's worship the Lord together. Let's pray to him right now. Lord Jesus, you see the needs that are all over this place. Lord, the need for healing, the need for deliverance, the need for renewal. Lord, you renew us right now, Lord Jesus. You heal our hearts, you heal our souls, and you heal our minds, Lord Jesus. You give us strength to endure and strength to continue, O oh God. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice so that we could be freed from these things, Lord Jesus. Lord, we call on you right now, the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper. Lord, you are the light on the darkest days, God, and we lift our hands to you. We lift our voices to you, and we believe in you, Lord Jesus. You will make a way where there is no way. You see things that we cannot see. You see where we're going. You see where we've been, yet you stand right beside us, Lord Jesus. Let us pray to him right now. Let us worship him right now in spirit and in truth. Hallelujah.
Church of Omaha, are you glad he brought you out of darkness, out of the darkness of this world where we had no hope, we had no future, 
The only thing promised to us was death. But thank God for his blood that brought us out of darkness and into his marvelous, marvelous light. Church, I'm excited to get to stand before you tonight. And before I get too far, because I usually forget, at this time, the children, if you would like to be dismissed, and everyone else, you can have a seat. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 5. So as you're sitting, getting out your Bibles, if you will turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses uh, 13 through 16. And as you're turning there, if you've attended any service here at TCOO this year, you will have no doubt heard the term called. This is because the theme for 2022 is called. Now already this year we've heard sermons about being called to humility and called to the fire and called to wait and called to wait part two. And no doubt there will be many more messages with the word called in it. You see each year the pastoral team and leaders within this church pray and seek God trying to find a theme that will help the church to unify behind our purpose. But even though the theme may change from year to year, the purpose for the Church of Omaha does not change. What is that purpose? Well, I'm glad you asked. You see, we are a spirit-filled church where everyone can be transformed by the hope and healing promised through Jesus Christ by connecting with God, growing in faith, serving others, and leading by example daily. Or as we colloquially call it here at CCO, CGSL. Connect, grow, serve, and lead. This month, for the Wednesdays, will be dedicated to CGSL. Tonight, if you will allow me just for a little bit, I want to tell you that we are called to connect. We are called to connect. Now, I can't promise you any mind-blowing one-liners tonight. I, I, I don't know if any of you have ever heard T.F. Tinney preach. I, I love hearing him preach. That man is a, is a, a binder of one-liners. You know, you could preach a sermon just from all of his one-liners alone. That's, that's not me. I can't promise you any dynamic one-liners. I can't promise you any secret knowledge tonight. But this is what I can tell you. If you will hear what this preacher is going to say and, more importantly, apply the word, your walk with God will be strengthened. And that's what counts. So turn with me, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Ye are the salts of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Verse 14, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Church, we are called to be a light in this dark world. Now, every time I read this passage, I can't help but go back to my Sunday school days. I grew up in a kind of a small country church, and we used to sing, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. All the time. I'm sure you've all heard that song before, right? Probably sang it when you were kids in Sunday school. It's been around for a long, long time. I remember some of the more seasoned um, women in the church that I grew up in 
would, would walk by and they would say things like, oh, Jeremy, you let your light shine for Jesus. You let your little light shine. I'm sure most of us have heard that phrase before, right? But is this what Matthew 5 is actually telling us? To let our little light shine. Well, to answer this question, we actually need to go back a little further and discuss what this light actually is that's being referred to. Turn with me to John chapter 1. We're going to be reading verse 1 through 9. John chapter 1, a very familiar passage. Most of you can probably quote parts of this. And it simply says this in John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. In the, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. So who is the Him? The Word, which is God, right? The Word. All things were made by Him. And in Him uh, was life. And the life was the light of men. Just make a little highlight there in verse 4. In Him the Word was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. Now listen to the next part here because this is going to give us a little better clue. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Did you catch that? The light we are called to shine is not our light. We are called to shine the light of Christ. And this distinction is incredibly important. You see, because in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. There is nothing in me that can offer you salvation. Now, this is how I like to imagine my lamp, tall and skinny. Don't know how accurate it is, but I can pretend, right? So here's my lamp. Lights. It's my lamp that I have for the world. Now I want you to notice something here. I'm going to turn my light on. I can turn that light on all day long, but it won't shine. Because in me, there is no light. That brings life. That is in my flesh. There is no light that brings life. In John chapter 11, verse 7 through 10, I, I didn't give this one to the sound people back there. Turn to John chapter 11, verse 7 through 10. It says, Then after that saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Now this is a really, really interesting part that he's about to, what he's about to say here. He was telling his disciples he wanted to go into Judea because there were people that needed to be reached. There was a ministry that needed to be had. But his disciples became afraid because, wait a minute, if you go to Judea, there are people there that want to kill you. There are people there that want to do you harm. But listen to how Jesus answers in verse 9. Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he said unto them, 
Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him out of his sleep. What this passage is saying here is that as long as you are walking in the light, you don't need to fear what the world wants to do to you. But that moment that you leave the light, the moment that you think you can do it on your own without God, without the help of God, you can do it on your own, that is the moment you will surely stumble. Because separated from Christ, you are walking in darkness. The light of Jeremy cannot bring salvation. The light of Jeremy cannot offer hope to a dying world. Oh, but the light of Christ, according to verse 4 in John 1, says, is the life was the light unto men. In him, that light is what brings life. This is why in John chapter 10, in verse 10, it says, The thief, thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now let's back up a minute because I want to make sure we understand what this light is. I want to make sure we understand what is being, uh, trying to be connected with us here. In John chapter 1, we read that it was the Word that was in the beginning with God, and in fact was God. It was the Word that was manifest in the flesh. It was the Word that made all things. It was in the Word that was life, and that life was the light of the world. It is the Word of God that will bring life to this world. So if you will imagine with me for a moment, here is my lamp, which in, it, in and of itself has no light. But here is the word. It is this that shines in the darkness, that illuminates our sins, that makes us clean. Psalms chapter 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. You're only complete through the word of God. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is the word that equips you to do the work of God. Psalms 119 and 9, how can a young man cleanse his ways but by taking heed according to your word? Isaiah 40 and 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. I love that passage because we live in a world that is constantly changing. Every day something is not okay to be said or now this is the new cool thing or this is now out of style. This is now morally okay and this is no longer okay the world has no idea what it's doing from day to day. And one day you may be on the world's good side, and the next day the world's out to eat you. But the grass withereth, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. It doesn't change. From before the foundations of the world were laid, the word was already in existence. Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, heaven and earth shall pass away. But my words will by no means pass away. It is impossible for me to overemphasize how important it is to know the word of God. You cannot connect with God without knowing the word of God. 
It is the word that tells us how to obtain salvation. It is the word that teaches us how to be holy. It is the word that tells us the signs of his second coming, not YouTube. It is the word that tells us how we are to love one another, not a therapist. It is the word that teaches us what we must look for at his second coming. It is the word that will always define what is morally right and morally wrong. And it doesn't change despite the generation. It is the word that will always stand the test of time. The word cannot be something you simply hear on Sundays and Wednesdays. It must be something that is hidden within your heart. It must be active in your life. Turn with me to James chapter 1. We're going to read James chapter 1, verse 21 through 25. Now before I start this passage, let me give you a little context. Because the passage I'm going to read, you have no doubt heard many times. But I think a little context will help to bring it to light a little more, no pun intended. James was the brother of Jesus. James was a Jew. James grew up his whole life seeing the Word. He looked in the face of the Word day in and day out. But do you know that James did not even believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after he was resurrected. He looked in the word over and over, and yet he walked away from the word doing his same thing, doing the same thing without changing. Keep all of that in mind. Now in James, he is writing specifically to Jews who have been converted. Listen to what he says. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity. That all, mean, all that means is overflowing of wickedness. And receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty... And continue therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. I can, I can imagine, so I always try to imagine myself in these situations. I can imagine James sitting around a campfire with men having a private talk saying, listen, I'm telling you, don't look in the perfect word and walk away and forget what you learned because I did that my whole life. I looked in the face of the word, but I didn't believe it. I didn't believe what the word was saying to me. I didn't believe I needed to do what he was telling me to do. And I went my own way. And wouldn't you know that the word was crucified? But just like the word said, he was resurrected again on the third day. And I have to imagine he had to say, thank God for his grace. That of all those times that I ignored him, of all the times that I didn't listen to him, he still had enough mercy to appear unto me again after the resurrection to still reach for me so that I could have relationship with him. So James saying this to the Jews wasn't some, from some high, haughty position, but he was explaining that I've lived this. I've walked this path. I want you to see the error of my own ways. And not coincidentally, he's writing to Jews who, as a nation, not only rejected Jesus, but had him crucified. So this is not lost on the reader either. Church of Omaha, there are those of you who have been faithfully coming to service on Sundays and Wednesdays. 
and yet you still feel that your life is in a rut. You hear the preached word calling you to connect with God. But there are days you don't feel like you're making very much progress. You've got your lamp and you've got your bulb. but Something still seems to be missing. If you will turn with me now back to John chapter 3. I want to read a story that you no doubt heard before, but of a man who was in a very similar situation. A man who seemingly was searching for something different than what he already had. A man who knew the word. A man who had spent his life studying the word. But he still felt like something was missing. In John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, I know often when we discuss the Pharisees, we want to paint them all with the exact same brush. Pharisees, bad. All Pharisees are bad. And there's a reason they they garnered that reputation. But it seems in this case, this man Nicodemus had a genuine interest in Jesus. And we will see in a minute that he might not have been the only one. In verse 2, it says, The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Right? So Nicodemus came by night to see Jesus. Now this is likely because he didn't want others to see him meeting with Jesus. Jesus was an outcast to the Pharisees. So he had to go by night to visit him. The second thing I find kind of interesting is who is the we? He said, we know that you are a teacher from God. No one can do these miracles except it be from God. So so who is the we? And we don't know exactly. Was it other Jewish leaders? Was it his family? Regardless of who the we was, they seemed to be in agreement that Jesus was anointed by God. Nicodemus says, thou art a teacher come from God. No man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Nicodemus knew the scriptures. Nicodemus recognized the acts being performed by Jesus were truly miraculous. But what Nicodemus could not grasp was who Jesus really was. In verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When people reference this story, the verse that is most commonly quoted is in verse 5, which we will get to in just a moment. But the truth is, there is a reason that verse 3 is mentioned before verse 5. You can know the Word of God, you can memorize every single verse in the Bible, but if you don't have the Spirit of God, you will never be able to truly understand what the Word is speaking to you. Think about it. How many preachers have you heard who can get up, who can quote Scripture like the back of their hand, and yet somehow still miss the most fundamental truths in God's word. Because a simple human knowledge of the word cannot be enough to save you. If it was, Jesus didn't need to come and die on a cross. He didn't need to pay the sins for your death. If your knowledge enough was was able to save you, then all you needed was the printed word and that's good to go. But that's not the case. You see, we often think of the word as simply the printed letters on a page. But I remember in John 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. 
far more than printed letters on a page. Picking back up in verse 4, it says, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You Listen, he was trying to explain something to him in verse 5, but he already knew that he wasn't going to get what was in verse 5 because he didn't get what was in verse 3. He couldn't get the revelation of salvation because he had no connection to the Spirit. You can preach to a lost person all day long, but if their heart is not into a position where they are ready to have a, a connection with God, those words often will fall on deaf ears. I'm not saying that you get to pick and choose who, who is able and ready to have a connection. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I'm wanting you to understand is that the knowledge of the word is not enough. You need the word. We read all those verses that the word is what illuminates our path. It's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. You need the word. But the word without the spirit is just letters on a page and is powerless. You need the spirit of God to allow your life to illuminate the word of God. Verse 6, he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You see, church, I can take my lamp. I can take my word. I can put that word in there. I can study that word. I can memorize that word. But if all I have is this, I'm going to run back into the same problem all over again. It isn't until the moment that I take that word as an axe when they felt pricked in the heart, when they heard the word, but they wanted something more. They recognized there's got to be something more in this life. It was the moment they went from knowing the word to connecting with the word that they had light. It was the moment of connection where their lives became changed by the word of God. Turn the lights on. Church, what I want you to understand is that connection of God is not something that you do one time and that's it. You see, you're not only called to connect with God. You are called to stay connected with God. Because you see, sometimes in our lives we take our light and we feel connected. And we say, oh, that looks good over there. And we start walking. And, and God gives us a little tug and he says, whoa, 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 that's not where you need to go. But God, I know, I, I know, I see it. I, I know this is where I need to go. I want to go there. And so we begin to tug and pull until eventually there's no longer a connection. And as we walk away, we've got the word and we've got our lamp, but we've lost the connection. No longer is there any power in the word within us. No longer is there any power to illuminate that word in our lives. And here's what's even scarier. If we're not careful, we will allow so much clutter to come in that we will hear a word that we think is God's. But because we've disconnected ourselves from the source, we're listening to the voice of the world. The voice of that enemy that creeps in. But I got the word, I know. But you've got no power. You know the word, but you don't have a connection. 
You have to have both. It is not one or the other. Now, if you know anything about computers, which admittedly I, I recognize my knowledge is pretty limited, so for those of you computer buffs out there, don't get on me if I get this a little wrong here. In your computer, you have things like the motherboard and the CPU and a cooling fan and other little pieces that help the computer to actually operate. But if no maintenance is ever done to that computer, dust can begin to collect. And as that dust collects and collects and collects and it's never cleaned, what can happen is you end up with a faulty connection. And now that signal that's trying to be sent from, from the, the, the CPU, from the, the, the motherboard to the, to the monitor, is corrupted. And what was supposed to be displayed is no longer the right thing that is being displayed. See, the same is true with our connection with God. It takes regular maintenance. If we aren't careful, all of the junk of this world will inundate our lives so much that we can no longer receive the message that God is trying to send to us. That message will be watered down and corrupted by all the filth in our life until what comes out is totally different than what God was sending to us in the first place. Your walk with God takes work you have to stay connected. It is a process that you will live the rest of your life going through. Now, I want to begin to wrap up tonight's lesson by looking at one more story. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read all of this story, but if you go with me to Mark chapter 10, I encourage you later, read, read Mark chapter 10 in its entirety later, but turn with me to Mark chapter 10. As you're turning there, if I were to say this phrase, and this is a verse out of the passage we're going to read, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Who would I be talking about? Who is? Yes, the rich young ruler. Yes, absolutely. This story is a very common story. It's been preached and taught. I can, I've heard this story in my own life more times than I could possibly count. But very rarely do I hear this story often being preached in its full context. You see, I've heard preachers, not from this pulpit, but I've heard preachers who have used this story to try to say that having money is a sin. Being wealthy is a sin. If you have money, you must not be very spiritual. I, I kid you not, I've heard preachers try to say this, that God wants you to be poor. That's not what this passage is saying. You have to read it in its context. So let's... Let's back up before we get to the rich young ruler. Let's start in verse 1. And he arose from thence and cometh into the coast of Judea by the farther side of Jordan. And the people resort unto him again. And as he was wont, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. Verse 5, And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. Pause right there for just a moment. See, they came to Jesus because they thought, well, look, if we can trip him up, because we know that the law, they, they didn't ask this question not knowing what Moses had already said. They knew this. They wanted to see if they could catch Jesus in a little trap here. 
So they asked Jesus, well, okay, can a man divorce his wife? Can a man get a bill of divorce for his wife? You ask him, what does Moses say? Well, yeah, actually we can do it. And Jesus says, only because of the hardness of your heart. Because God recognized that you were in such a place that you were unwilling to do what needed to be done to save your relationships, that he wrote you this, this precept, this ability to divorce. And, and I'm not talking, I'm not, this, this message is not really about marriage specifically, but there's a bigger point that's being made here. So listen very carefully. In verse 7, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. And listen to verse 9. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Now it's very clear that he is, he is specifically speaking about marriage. But he's about to make a much larger point as to what he's getting at with the heart of the people that he's speaking to. Jump down to verse 13. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. What is of the kingdom of God? Not just children. What is of the kingdom of God is connection. You see, they looked at the children like, Oh, get those, get those meddling kids out of here. Like Jesus is too important for that. He doesn't need to see these children. And Jesus is saying, no, the whole point of the kingdom of God is connection between God and man. This is why he first starts by talking about divorce. Because for too easy in this world, all the way back then, divorce has become something that we just flippantly do. In this world, you don't like your spouse anymore? Divorce them. You don't like that they are not as in shape as you want them to be? Divorce them. You, you think they don't make enough money? Divorce them. There's plenty of fish in the sea. God is saying, no, that is your hard and wicked heart saying such things. When you take an oath before God and you say that no longer are they two, but they've become one, why would you so easily tear that apart? But here's the bigger point of the story. When you say that you are connected to God, why would you let anything break that apart? Because marriage in the flesh is one thing, and it's temporary. But marriage to God is an eternal concept. If you divorce God, there's only separation for eternity. God is trying to draw a picture for us here that he is a God of connection, that he expects you to stay connected always. Now listen to this. We told the story. It's all about connection. Now where are we going to go from here? The backdrop of the story, this is the backdrop of the story of the rich young ruler. God is a God of connection and of a relationship. There is nothing higher in importance than our relationship with Christ. In the second part of the story, we see disciples trying to stop the kids from connecting with Jesus. Church, we cannot ever think that we are the arbitrators of who gets to connect with God and who doesn't. Let it never be said of us that we turn someone away from an encounter with God because we didn't like the way they dressed. We didn't like the way they smelled. We didn't like the language they used. Well, they're in the world. What do you expect? Let it never be said of us that we shut up the doors to heaven. Because that's what was said to the Jews. They don't go in. They don't allow anyone else in either. Let that not be said of us. Now with that backdrop in mind, let's turn to verse 17. 
And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. I love when he says this line because there's more than one place that this particular line is referenced. The reason this line is thrown out, because Jesus obviously knows that he is God. When he throws this line out there, it's often because he knows that the people talking to him don't know that. They have not got the revelation that the man they are speaking to is God, and yes, therefore, is good. In verse 18, And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Verse 19, Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Hey, master, I know the word. I got my light bulb. This is no problem. If this is what it takes for eternal life, I got it. I got eternal life. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all of these things have I observed from my youth. Now listen to what 21 says. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. When we talk about the rich young ruler, we often say, well, Jesus rebuked that man. He called him out for his wickedness. He said how evil he was. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus beholding him loved him. You see, when there's something in your life that is causing a disruption between the connection between you and God, and God sends someone to help you correct that connection, that is not God hating you. That's because God loves you. And Jesus beholding you, Jesus beholding me, recognizing that there were things in my life that was withholding my connection from God, sent someone to correct me, to speak into my life, to change me so that my connection could be restored. He said, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. What he lackest had nothing to do with money had nothing to do with money. It had everything to do with his heart. His heart loved the money more than he loved God. God didn't care if he was rich. God didn't care if he was poor. But what God cared about was the, the, the station of his heart. And he said, one thing you lack, a connection. And what's causing you to lack that connection is your love for something other than me. So he says, go, get rid of it. Give it to the poor. Take up the cross. Follow me. And he was sad at the saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Can you imagine standing before Christ on judgment day? And God looking you in the eye and saying, remember, I came to you. I told you the one thing that you lacked. I said, this is the one thing you lack to have connection, to have eternity with me. But you went away sad because you wanted that one thing more than me. And you had that one thing in life. But now you have nothing for eternity. Because that rich young ruler couldn't take the riches with him to hell. The rich young ruler couldn't take his titles his influence, his position. The only thing he could have taken with him was his connection with God. But his love for something else was more important than his love for God, for his connection with God. Church, what I'm trying to get us to understand is that we are called to connect. 
and that this connection has to be an ongoing process. I look out in this crowd and I, I look in the mirror and I see there are days where I feel overworked, underappreciated. And it's a perception thing. I'm not saying it's true. It's a perception thing. We all have them. We all have those moments where we feel like people don't appreciate us enough for the work that we do. We all have those moments where we feel like they don't understand my struggles. They don't know what it's like to be me with my past, to be in my situation. But God is saying he does. He understands. For we have not a high priest who was in all ways tempted like us. He was betrayed, hated, spit on, lied to and crucified because he wanted you to know he understands. So even if it's true that people don't appreciate you, even if it's true that people hurt you, you cannot let that disrupt your connection with God. Because when you stand before God, he is not going to ask you about that time you felt disrespected. He's not going to ask you about that time you felt like they didn't appreciate you. He's going to ask you about the time that you had a moment to connect, but you turned it down. The moment you walked away sad because you had great possessions. But here's the good news. Jesus, when he went to the rich young ruler, beholding him, loved him. Jesus didn't want the rich young ruler to walk away sad. And I have to believe with all that is in me, if the very next day that rich young ruler came back to Jesus and said, you're right, I'm sorry, I give it all away. Whatever you want me to do, I will do it. I will take up my cross. I believe with all my heart, Jesus would have said, great, now you're ready. If you feel the prick in your heart, the conviction that there is something disrupting your connection, God is beholding you and he loves you. He is trying to tell you, don't give up. Don't quit. Keep going. It's time for us to clean out some of the cobwebs in our CPU, if you will. It's time for us to repair the connection so that the message he is trying to send us is displayed to the world. The light of the word has no power without connection to the source. And Jesus looked around, verse 23... And saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Now listen, he said riches because that's what he was dealing with. There's a whole bunch of other words we could have put in right here. How hard is it? Them that have fame. How hard is it? For them that have too much pride. How hard is it? For them who have no need or, or believe they have no need of God. How hard is it for them to enter into the kingdom of God? I love the next two verses because God is going to explain to you why the story is being told. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looking upon them saith, With men it is impossible, but for God, or with God, all things are possible. The key to this lesson is that you have to stop trying to fix it by yourself. Stop trying to repair the, all the broken connections on your own. The point is, is you cannot do it on your own. 
With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You see, the world will tell you that you've done too much. You've made too many mistakes. You've gone a little too far. And if it was just up to men, there we'd be right. It would be impossible. But it's not up to man. For with God, all things are possible. When I read the story of Judas, both Judas and Peter, here were two men that both sinned against Jesus. We give Peter a lot of credit, but you know, Peter denied Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. And we're talking the moment after Jesus is taken, held captive, being brought for charges to take his life. Peter's like, I don't know who that is. I'm not with him. Forget that. I don't want anything to do with that. He, did not, he was just as guilty as Judas. Do you know what the difference is? Judas chose a rope, whereas Peter chose repentance. That's the difference. Judas tried to solve the problem with man, and it was impossible. But Peter solved the problem with God, who with him all things are possible. Church, too often we try to put value on, on us by man's standards, by what we've been able to achieve. And God is saying, that's not how I measure your success. Your success is measured by how much of me you display to the world. Put away your filthy righteousness and put on the righteousness of Christ. That is how we are to live this life. There can be no greater response than when you stand before God and he looks at you and sees not your righteousness, but his. There is no greater compliment that could ever be paid than to see Christ reflected in you. See, this world can be tough. I could go around this room and there would be no doubt there would be stories of hurt and loss that would break our hearts. Likewise, each person here could recount the many ways that they've fallen short of perfection. But tonight I want to encourage you. As I said earlier, God didn't hate the rich young ruler because of his shortcomings. Jesus loved him so much that he was willing to take the time to correct him. Tonight, if you felt a prick in your heart at any of the things that I have said, it's because God is beholding you and he loves you. He is reaching for you. He is wanting you to strengthen your connections with him because on your own, it is impossible. But truly with God, all things are possible. As we stand tonight, I think it would be appropriate just to take a moment of reflection. You can do it there. You can do it up here. I don't care. But this is a moment for you to assess your connection with God. It's not your moment to be thinking about others and the way that they've fallen short. It's time for you to look in the mirror of the Word and let it change you. Jesus. Jesus.
Come on, let's just touch the Lord for just a few more minutes here together. Y'all let the fruit of the Spirit be active and evident in my life every day, Lord. Oh, God, let me forever stay connected to your will and your ways. Jesus, let me forever stay connected, oh, God, to your purpose, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me stay rooted and grounded in your word, Lord. Oh, God, let the foundation always be sure that I'm standing and building upon, God. Let me build, Lord Jesus, with those precious gems. Lord, not the wood, hay, and stubble, Lord. Oh, God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Let me hear as you hear and speak as you speak. Oh, God, let me feel as you feel. Let me be burdened as you burden, God. Oh, Lord Jesus, let me be moved with compassion. Let there be nothing standing between you and me, Lord. Oh, God, wash me, cleanse me, purify me, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I believe that the next time you change a light bulb, your house or whatever, you're going to think a little bit differently about it. I think the next time you might be anybody ever vacuuming and all of a sudden a cord come out and you you know you realize you've pulled too far. And I think the next time something like it happens, you're going to realize, oh, I got to stay connected. And I pray that this illustration tonight resonates in our minds that when we go to our jobs, our schools, that we would. I need to be plugged in. I need to be connected. We, I think everybody in this room has a, a smartphone or a tablet. You ever get where the it's saying plug in or, you know, showing you the battery symbol or whatever? You got you to gotta put it back in if you want to keep using it. You know, God, let the indicator light of your spirit come on and, and keep me reminded to be plugged in and stay plugged in. We need each other. We need God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. This first little bit, we've prayed for ourselves. I wonder now if we could pray for others. There are some who are disconnected from the body right now. And one of the things that we're believing God's going to do this year is draw prodigals home. Would you pray right now with me for some prodigals, for some backsliders, that God would touch them and reach them. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you've spoke to our hearts tonight. Thank you for how you've brought conviction and conversion into our spirits tonight. We now pray, Lord, for those who are without, who are disconnected, Lord, who are drifting aimlessly away from this truth. We pray right now, Lord, that you would touch them, that you would use us to bump into them, to feel a burden to call them, to feel a burden to pray for them. Lord, we pray whatever it takes that you would draw them, wake them 
them up and restore them, reconnect them to the body of Christ, reconnect them to your spirit, Lord. We ask it and pray it in the name of Jesus. We expect it in this shift that we're in, Lord. We know that you're well able to do the impossible in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. As, as you resonate on this word, as it, as it fills your spirit, I want you to ask the Lord over these next few days between now and Sunday, who can you reach out to? Who can you witness to? Who can you give a phone call or a text message to? Who can you go talk with? Amen. Let's plant, let's water, and let's believe and expect God to give the increase and let's stay connected. Pastor Jeremy, thank you so much. God bless each one of you. Uh, let's be back here Sunday in Jesus' name see what God's going to do.